Well, three months ago, we began this journey through the book of Revelation. The Apostle Paul has been our tour guide of this time machine, uh, prophetic time machine, from you know, going through the church ages to the end of the age, the end of mankind's rule on this earth. And last week, we kind of wrapped it all up with, with, uh, with the judgments of, uh, of what's going to take place in front of the great white throne judgment. And where we left off last week was Satan has been defeated and forever removed. We left off last week where, where death has been given a forever death sentence. We've left off with sin is it going to be for, forever silenced. And the judgment and damnation will be a forever fleeting memory, Isaiah 65 says. And there is this like screeching halt of emotion, a screeching halt of judgment. You know, and, and there's a reason why that God refers to all of that, the judgment of God, as the day of the Lord. Because in God's time, you know, he's beyond time. He, we talked about he's been patient, he's been merciful, he's been for, forgiving, he, he's been gracious over and over and over again. But then when he has had enough and he, he says, I'm going to judge wickedness to God, it's about a day. And now we stand on the precipice of infinity and beyond for those whose name was written in the book of life, those who have trusted in Jesus Christ. What will life, forever life, eternal life be like for those people? It's like, it's like this, this dramatic of, of judgment and wrath, and, and, and like awesome in the, in the negative sense and powerful and then there's a turn of the coin, and it is awesome and incredible in the positive sense of forever in a place that is commonly referred to as heaven, as heaven. Now, there's some challenges with heaven. The first challenge is, is that all through your lifetime, all through my lifetime, all through the course of mankind, Satan has mocked and lied about heaven. Even when we were in chapter 13 of Revelation, it talks about Satan. The Satan opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and where? His dwelling place. And slander those who live in heaven. See, Satan has been on a war path ever since he got kicked out, you know, permanently from heaven. And, and he, the last thing he wants any of you to even think about, he doesn't want you to think about heaven. He doesn't want you to dream about heaven. He doesn't want your hearts and minds to go there. He just wants you to, to think that heaven's, you know, is not that big of a deal. But he mocks it. He ridicules it. Which leads to a, a second challenge when we talk about heaven is that there is so much inaccurate understanding based upon the lies of Satan about heaven. I mean, this, this whole lie is, is that, uh, you know, even there, there, some liberal seminaries teach us that, you know, heaven is not a physical place. It's just a spiritual thing. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Uh, another lie is that actually I believed as a child that heaven is going to be boring. That we're going to float on clouds and play harps. 
Now, as a kid learning it, you know, in Sunday school, I'm going, well, I know I don't want to go to hell, but that's not appealing at all. And that is another lie of Satan, because if it's not appealing, if it's not really, we don't fully understand what heaven is, we're not going to really care. We're going to set this life up as heaven on earth. And all of our focus and all of our attention and all of our energy and all of our emotion is just going to reside here. It's inaccurate understanding. And then the third challenge is incomplete understanding. Did any of you, any of you uh, know what flannel graph is, some flannel graph lessons? For years, decades, I had a flannel graph understanding about heaven. Some of it's not even accurate in the Bible. But the flannel graph pictures were cool as a kid. It wasn't really until when I came back here to be your lead pastor in 05 in, in 2006, I finally began to learn and study separately about heaven. And my mind was, I, I, would, I would read and I'd just have to pause and go, okay, wait a second. That wasn't on the flannel graph. I, I, I never heard that before. And the more I studied... And I'm continuing to learn, my, really, seriously, beyond my Niners and beyond my grandkids now, my favorite subject to talk about, to think on, to dwell, to marinate on is heaven. But in 2006, I began to go, wait a second. God has sprinkled hints and clues all about heaven all through Scripture. And it's been there. It's like this gold mine. And the gold is everywhere. And when you start seeing it, it's just it, my, my whole understanding changed. Now, the practical challenge that I have today, I left the house today. My wife will be here next, next service with her parents. And, and I'm yelling down the stairs, I don't, got, I don't have to talk about hell on earth. I don't have to talk about demon locusts. I don't have to talk about judgment and hell. Woo! I get to talk about heaven. And the challenge for me is that the time that we have today and we'll start our, our Christmas series next Sunday, I can't tell everything. I share everything. So, so if you go to Grace Point Kids Up YouTube channel, though, if you go to our church YouTube channel, um, I asked Chiago to, to pull the five sermons, the five uh, teachings series uh, on, our, on, our, on our webpage, on our, our YouTube page. Um, and this, this came about in June of 2020. You know what, remember what's happened in June 2020? All hell was breaking loose in our country with race, racism and marches and, and looting and fear of COVID and the political season. I mean, it was just like everything. And as I was watching the news and I was reading, trying to stay up, this is what my spirit did. And I said... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back my, my notes, and I'm going to go in my office in my house, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach on heaven for my sake. <laughs> Sorry, you, you know, you can watch it, but it was for me. And when I went back to heaven and started teaching and, and, and going over my notes, my spirit did this. See, heaven just realigns my heart every single time. Colossians 3, set your hearts and your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And so I'm going to... Some of you, you're going to hear things, and I'm going to tease you intentionally to drive you to these where I can go more in depth, 30, 35-minute uh, sermons of just pouring out my heart and going through Scripture 
So I'm going to tease you today. I'm going to give the, the big picture of heaven, and then I'm going to talk about the best part of heaven. And if, I, if there's every, anything I say, and you're like, oh, I, I wish you would have said more. <laughs> Knock yourself out. I've had, I've had parents during COVID that went through this with their children. They're older, older like 8, 9, 10, and they were, like, they were enthralled. They're asking all these questions. The last thing Satan wants any of us to do is learn about the forever home for those whose names are written in the book of life. So if you take a note, the final revelation uh, scene for this series is here we are today, is that we receive a glimpse of eternity where real life truly begins. This life is temporary. Eternal life is eternal. Did anybody miss that? Okay. But this life, we put everything in this life, and it's not real life. It is a grind. It is horrible. It, is, it, has, it has struggles, and I'll tell you why but later. But, but when believers get beyond this life, this temporary vapor that James talks about of this life, now we start living. And when we have that understanding, yes, things suck down here at times, and they're hard. But there's hope. There's hope for what awaits those who believe in Jesus Christ. So here we go. Jump in with me. Chapter 21. We'll read some verses. Chapter 21. Drastic change from the lake of fire. Verse 1. Then, John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down. John, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. And those who are victorious will inherit all this. And I will be their God. And they will be my children. Jump over to verse 22. John says, I did not see a temple in the city. Because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does not uh, does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Chapter 22, verse 1, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, 
flowing from the throne of God and of the land down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. Any curse. Let me give you some big picture things before I talk about the best part of heaven. It's this. Everything, everything is restored and renewed back to Genesis 2 conditions. If you read Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, the Garden of Eden, and you jump over to Revelation 21 and 22, you'll see a lot of similarities. Things that stopped or ceased or were hidden in the Garden of Eden after sin came on planet Earth, they appear again in the new heaven and the new earth. Whenever I talk about heaven, we're talking about the new heaven and the new earth. And I go into detail on one of those videos online about where people believe where heaven is, where heaven is. And I believe, like many others, that God is all about, he's all about renewing and restoring and redeeming and reconciling. All through scripture says, you know, even salvation-wise, what the old has passed, the new has come. He has, he's going to make everything new. God's going to reclaim this earth that has been tainted by sin and renew it and restore it. Now, in, in chapters, chapters 1 and 2, there's a garden paradise. But it's not going to be a garden paradise. It's going to be a global paradise. And God will not visit. He will live there with his children. He will live there. See, one of the cool names, I mean, if you're new to Bible study, I mean, Jesus was given so many names because, you know, how, how, do you, how do you kind of try to wrap your head of understanding around the, the magnitude and the gloriousness of Jesus? So there's a lot of names given. And one of my favorite during Christmas is Emmanuel, which means God with us. But he came with us, came to die for us, went back to prepare a place for us. But in heaven, it's no longer God with us, and he leaves. It's God's living with us and us with him forever and ever. I mean, that's just, the, the, there's no more separation. There's no more divide. And just as God walked and talked with Adam in the garden, Adam and Eve, he's going to walk and talk with us. Mm. It's absolutely glorious. Another big picture is this, is that the new Jerusalem, the new capital city, the new Jerusalem is the focal point of the new earth. Goes on to talk about more detail in chapter 21, and it's just, it's just mind-blowing. You read it, like, I, my brain can't get around that. The foundations with all these gold, silver, precious stones and the pearly gates and things that we often just say, this is heaven, the streets of gold, that's in the new Jerusalem. Right? Streets of gold and the river and the streams and the, and the trees on both sides and the healing of the nations, you know, and, and, and mansions and, and really actually means rooms. When Jesus says, I'm going away, I'm going to come back, but I'm going away to prepare a place for you. He's talking about the new Jerusalem. I mean, it's been under construction since Jesus left. And I'm a literal creationist. I believe that God has the power to speak things into existence. He doesn't need millions of years. And I believe how amazing he, he created this earth by just the spoken, you know, let there be light, let there be land, let there be animals, boom. Man, I'm thinking, man, and he's been gone over 2,000 years preparing a place for us, the new Jerusalem that's 
mind-blowing here, 1,400 miles in every direction, every direction, 1,400 miles up. That's why it's a new heavens, because probably uh, needs to change, because right now we got 50 miles up, and then we run out of oxygen. 1,400 miles up. Can you imagine the, world, the view? I'm like, can I get a window? And you talk about, and you look at Isaiah about heaven and the new heaven and new earth and, and revelation here. And, and we're going to live outside the city, but come and visit the city. We'll come and worship in the city. We'll come and go like, I can't believe, you know, this. And one of the lies of, of, about heaven is that heaven's going to be, and I remember that as a kid going, I don't know about this, that heaven is just going to be one long forever worship service. I'm like, I love worshiping, but... That doesn't sound very fun. Worship is going to be everything that we do. But it talks about people lead, you know, coming into the new Jerusalem and, and, and coming there and worshiping. And that's where it's all these rooms. I mean, there is so much room. It doesn't matter. We have trillions and trillions of people. God's got enough real estate covered. But it's a central focus point. That's where the throne is. That's where the streets of gold are. That's where the river coming from the throne, crystal clear. That's all about the new Jerusalem. You see, when God does something, he does it well. And when God decides to bling something, he blings it well. So this, this new earth is going to be I mean, new with mountains and rivers and I mean, lush. And just think about right now, the earth that we have is three quarters of it is ocean. It says there's no going to be no sea there, meaning there's no, that's a picture of the first judgment, worldwide judgment, and it's, it separates people and, and families and nations. But, you know, there, there'll be water there, but just imagine this incredible new earth. But the focal point is that new Jerusalem, where we're going to come and go and worship. And we won't have to have, have any time restraints, like, uh, I only got a week. We got forever. But we won't just be in the city. There is life outside the city when you understand the Old Testament. Even Jesus dropped some hints in the New Testament. Here's the, next, the last big picture. Could you imagine a forever, a forever and ever, a forever with a free, fun, fulfilled, life-giving and joyful existence? We get glimpses of this on this broken earth. Could you imagine a forever being free? We have so many limitations and, and, and constrictions. That's all gone. Free. We, we, God created in the DNA of human beings the desire to be free. And heaven will be free. In, in heaven, it's, it's going to be fun. And Isaiah talks about that uh, we're going to be like children. That's why he talks about he's going to be our God and we'll be his children. How do, our, how do our kids act when they're excited? Right? They, they jump for joy. They leap. They sing. They dance. They laugh. They giggle. I just got a video of my granddaughter. My, her, her dad's bouncing on the, the air mattress. She's flying in the air and bouncing. And she's just giggling from her soul. We're going to be kids. The older we get, we don't have as much fun anymore. Imagine a forever of fun. We're just like, we just can't contain ourselves. But a, f a forever existence that we're being fulfilled. 
how God made us. And it's going to be life-giving, not (laughs) life-sucking. And joyful. Joyful, joyful. How is this possible? How is this true? I, I believe it's possible and it's true because of the best part of heaven. The best part of heaven. Now, the best part of heaven, you know, like, I'll, I'll give you like the church answer, you know, the, the pastor answer, the Christianese answer is the best part of heaven is seeing Jesus face to face. I don't believe that's the best part of heaven. Like, can a pastor say that? That's kind of like the church Christianese answer. The human answer that I've said in the past, I don't say it anymore. Uh, other people have said, especially at funerals, you know, the human part is that, you know, the best part of heaven is like, I want to see Jesus, but I want to see my dad again. For those of us that lost a child, we want to see our kids. We want to see a friend, spouse again. That's the human part. And that's cool, but that's not the best part of heaven. Because without the best part of heaven, heaven would not be heaven. So some of you never heard this before, like, What's the best part of heaven? Glad you asked. The best part of heaven is is this. Sin will be eternally impossible. Sin will be eternally impossible. Because if we still have sin, it would be cool to meet Jesus, but then it will quickly grow, grow awkward if we still have sin. If we still have sin, when we see our loved ones again, it's just a matter of time where it's uncomfortable or like, I don't think I really missed you that much. Because of sin, we'll bring it with us. No, 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 no. Sin has been silenced forever, and it will be absolutely impossible to sin or experience sin again. Let me show you on the screen. God just told us, chapter 21, verse 4. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. So what in this sin-filled, diseased world causes death? Sin. What causes mourning? Sin. What causes crying? Sin. What causes all pain? Sin. None of it will be there. None of it will be there. And it's hard for us to understand it because we, that's all, that's all we, we, we understand. We all we've experienced. And, and chapter 22, verse 3, kind of comes back around and says it in a different way. No longer will there be any curse. No longer. Because if there's sin there, it's not heaven. But there's no more curse. It will be eternally impossible to experience sin. Genesis chapter 1 and 2, perfect environment. And all of human history tipped. You know, the tipping point is Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve were deceived by Satan, that punk, and they ignored the truth of God's word, they believed the truth of the the lies of, of Satan's mouth, and they disobeyed God. And as a result, sin has consequences. James talks about sin. Once it gives birth, always leads to death. Death, death, separation. That's what death is. And in Genesis chapter 3, there, there was curses given. It was just the consequence of sin. 
And there's been curse with animals. That'll be taken out, not on the millennial reign, but also in heaven forever and ever. There's no fear of animals. There's no curse between animals and animals and human. There's, in Genesis 3, there, there was division. There's intense in, in, you know, division in a husband and wife relationship. And there's been a curse with spouses of uh, who's going to really get their way. Who's going to get their way? Who's going to get their way? There's this kind of this battle. That's all gone. That curse is gone. Another curse in Genesis 3 that led to racism, you know, and division and hatred and all the racist junk in our, in our, in our world. Gone. Forever gone. Uh, the work, the curse is, is harder. It's more difficult. You know, and, and, and so, such a headache. And then also with nature. Nature, I mean, there's been one natural disaster after the next and, and flooding and, and typhoons and earthquakes and, and, and tornadoes and just destruction. And everything we watch on the news is just an example of the curse on mankind because of sin. And Jesus says, in my place, there's no more curse forever and ever and ever. That's why I keep going back to the best part of heaven. Because we got to understand that because then it's like it changes our entire perspective on heaven. That sin will be eternally impossible. There's not going to be even a hint of sin. No hint. No hint. Next slide, please. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Thank you. I get too excited. I forgot something. Jesus goes back, verse 4, in chapter 121, for the old order of things have passed away. Everything that you and I have grown up with, lived with, lived like, have stuff that we've had stuff thrown on us, baggage thrown on us that we've done it to other all the order that we just think this is life all that old order of things have passed away so to sin will be eternally impossible like i said there's not even a hint of it there's not even a hint of it there's not going to even be a desire to sin and as human beings as much as some of us in this room we love jesus our sin nature creeps up and we start thinking about man you know what if i if I could do that and no one would ever know, I would never, ever get caught, I think I might do that. In heaven, there's not going to be any desire. And there won't be any temptation to sin. Gone. That's why it's going to be free. That's why it's going to be joyful. That's why it's going to be fun. That's why it's, what's going to make heaven heaven is that we can be in relationship with a holy, righteous God and not feel any ounce of shame because there's no sin. It's been paid for by the blood of Jesus on the cross. No more sin. But just think about life here. Sin has saturated every ounce of life here, every pore in our body. It has saturated and poisoned and diseased every single relationship you and I have, have ever had. Just think about how we talk. Sin permeates our talk. Like we can say something, but is it really truthful? Is it fully truthful? Are we talking in such a way that we're, we're controlling? We're manipulating the situation to get our way? 
Our talk is so saturated with sin. And then there's our thought life. And like, Pastor Barry, don't go there. Well, I am. Our thought life, and we just may have this face like, I love Jesus. But our thought is lustful, hateful, critical, negative. It's just, we're saturated with sin. We've been poisoned. That's all we know. And then our sight, not, well, because of glasses. That's, see, that's an example of sin right there. But it's, it's how we see people. Our filter is sin-clogged. That's why there's racism. They don't look like me, dress like me, act like me, buy like me, shop like me. And we are filtering and judging people. And it's all because of sin. Just how we look at people. We make judgment calls of people. We have no idea who they are. Because we're just judging from appearance. Even our love. And you may have the best marriage out there, super healthy, but it's still saturated with sin. Like, seriously, why did you really, husbands, why did you really put the dishes in the dishwasher? Really? Because I love my wife. Yeah. But you're like, hey, maybe on later on tonight. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but it's like we're all selfish. And it, it is saturated with, love is saturated with selfish sin. How we live. You and I are carrying weight and baggages and scars that always go back to sin. So the possibility of sin being, in, I mean, there's this thing about the sin being eternally impossible. I'm like, I'm saying, sign me up. Well, I am. <laughs> My name's written in the book of life. But think about it. We're hurt people, all of us. Every single one of us are hurt people surrounded by hurt people who hurt people. We all hurt and we are hurt. So imagine. I'm going to give you some things to imagine with what Jesus said laid out. Imagine. Imagine an eternity where you are delivered from yourself. If I would ask you to point to the worst enemy in your life, if you're honest, you go and you point, not to me, um, but to yourself. <laughs> we are our worst enemies. Could you imagine the eternity of never again saying, oh, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I said that. We'd be free. Jerk-free heaven for ourselves. No more lying, no more pride, no more lust, no more envy, jealousy, anger, corruption, self-righteous, hypocrisy, shame, regret. Do you know that it'll be internally impossible for you to hurt anybody else again? You'll be set free. It'll be eternally impossible for you to disappoint anybody else in heaven forever and ever. Right there, that will change your eternity, some of you. Because you have lived a life of regret and shame. And if you trust in Jesus, you know he's forgiven you. But a sin-filled reaction is why well, I just can't. I know, he tr I know he forgiven me. I just can't forgive myself. That, that's not fully trusting the forgiveness of Jesus because because we can't help ourselves, because we keep beating ourselves up. Not heaven.
Imagine a place forever and ever where you and I are free to be ourselves. Do you know how many people aren't really who they are? See, I believe in a creator God who is the author of life. I remember years ago in the old law term saying, and, and God just, you know, our parents were just tools. And it came out wrong. Everybody laughed. And I went, well, actually, it was a true statement. <laughs> All right. But God is the author of life. That's why life is so precious. God is the one, Psalm 39, that says, I created you in the innermost parts of your mother's womb. I knit you together. See, every single one of us are uniquely made and one of a kind. But so many of us humans, we're not acting who we are. We have been put down by a dad or a mom or friends and we have fear. I, I, I'm afraid to take that chance because I might be rejected. And, and, and some of you have been in bondage for years and decades. But in heaven, those shackles are gone. And all the gifts and all the abilities and all the skills that God wired into your DNA, so unique and one of a kind, it's not, not like anybody else and all the billions and billions of people in heaven, you're going to finally be able to be free to be who God designed you to be and you won't have anybody criticizing you some of you all you believe is a sin-filled lie, lie that you're worthless that you will never be amount to anything and you've heard those painful poisonous words but when you see God face to face when you see Jesus face to face you'll be Everything that he's always designed you to be, that's freedom. That's going to be fun. That's going to be a joyful, life-giving existence now. And another thing, imagine. Imagine this. Imagine an eternity where work will be without fatigue or frustration. Somebody, wait, wait a second, Barry. You said there's no more curse. You know, and going to work is a curse. Hold on, hold on. Let me give you a correct theology of heaven. God assigned work and responsibility to, to Adam before sin came. God wired us to contribute. God has given us gifts to give back. There will be work in heaven. There will be responsibility in heaven. That's what makes him our heavenly father. We are his children. We will be assigned things. We will have opportunities to do things. And it will be fulfilling for us. Because if you've ever done something that you absolutely love to do, and it gives you life and joy and contentment and fulfillment, it's not work. But is it work? Yes. But it doesn't feel like work. But sin came in Genesis chapter 3. Work has been a pain in the backside ever since. And I think taxes thrown onto your work is just, you know, salt in the womb. So let me tell you, no taxes in heaven. Can I get an amen for that? Okay. In Isaiah 65, it says this. It talks about in the, in the new heavens and the new earth, you will build houses and live in them. You will plant vineyards and enjoy them. And it says this. That, uh, that, that you will long enjoy the fruit of your labor, and your labor will not be in vain. See, that, that doesn't line up with we're going to be floating on clouds playing harps. That is the lamest, lamest thing I've ever heard. 
Even, even what we read, that verse 24 of 20, 21, the nations will walk by its light, the kings on the earth, that's responsibility, and, and will bring their splendor into it. Verse 26, the glory and honor of the nations will be brought into the new Jerusalem. So, so, some of us are going to do things that we never knew that God designed us to do and produce. And we're going to go, I got the gift to give Jesus. So you're going to write a song you've never written a song before. I've always said this. I would love to learn how to play the drums. I was even trying to drop some hints to Nash for Christmas Eve. Big drums. I could, I could probably learn how to do that. I do that. But because he doesn't walk with Jesus some days, uh, he's not, he's not going to let me do it. But here, here's my go-to. I don't, I, don't have, I don't have time to learn the drums. Not in heaven. Come find me. All right. Um, and here's the last thing I want you to imagine. Every time I've brought this up in a teaching session or one-on-one, it usually provo- uh, uh, provokes emotions. One of the best parts of heaven without sin is this. Imagine a place where all relationships are without conflict and perfectly restored. All the relationships that they have trusted in Jesus, they're fallen, they're sinful, you and I are fallen, we are sinful, but we, we come to Jesus. That's why we can't earn our way to heaven. Come on. That's from Satan himself. Though by, by grace we are saved by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And our name is written in the book of life. And when we get to heaven, the people that you already know, we will be recognized. I talked about that in some of the videos. We'll, they'll be known by our names. And when we come in contact with someone that we had conflict here, no more fighting. No more tension, no more awkwardness, no more, I'm going to avoid them for the next 10,000 years. All relationships will be perfectly restored because there's no sin. I close with this. Um, A few years ago, about three miles from here, a, a man in our church was dying. His name was John and was asked to come. So I went by his bedside several times. And one of the times I said, hey, do you know much about heaven? Do you want me to talk to, talk to you about heaven where you're going because he tr- places trust? And he goes, I would love to. And I just start talking about some of these things. And he's in his bed and his you know, body is strong, man's wilted and, and stuff. And then I got to the part of all relationships will be fully restored. And I said, well, did, did your dad know Jesus? And a tear started coming down. He goes, yeah, he trusted in Jesus. But I had a horrible relationship with him. He had an anger problem. He had an alcohol problem. He was abusive. And I didn't want nothing to do with my dad. I said, pretty soon you're going to go meet Jesus. And when you see your father, you're really going to meet him for the first time. And he really started tearing up. He goes, I would love that. See, Jesus is all about reconciliation and restoring And some of you have had horrible relationships with people in your life. And when you meet them in heaven because they trusted in Jesus too. Fully restored. Forever free from sin. That's why sin being eternally impossible is going to make heaven, heaven. I'm going to close with the words of Jesus. We've read this before. Look at verse 5 of chapter 21. 
He who was seated on the throne said this, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. That reminds me of the woman at the well. When Jesus says, if you drink of the water I give you, you will never thirst again. He's not talking about HTO, he's talking about spiritually. You trust in Jesus, the spiritual thirst for a relationship with God will be forever fulfilled because you've, in, you've come from the spring of the water of life. Verse 7, those who are victorious, those who have trusted in Jesus will inherit all this and I will be their God. They will be my children. Have you trusted in Jesus? Praise Jesus. We had four adults last Sunday trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Their names were written in the book of life. The offer of salvation from your sin and salvation from hell is still there. If you have never trusted in Christ, say yes to Jesus that you are my Savior. You died on the cross for my sins and you rose again so that your name will be written in the book of life. So you will inherit all of this and more. Would you pray with me? Oh, Lord, I just, I could go on for hours. Lord, thank you for all through Scripture giving us hints and clues and gold nuggets through Scripture and a general picture at the end of what life will really begin to be like for those who have trusted in you. And I can't wait to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest, your eternal rest of just an amazing eternity. So Jesus, draw people to you. Your offer that you've already died for their sins is there. May they trust in you and say, yes, be my savior. I pray they do that today. May God, would you help us until you come back. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Next Sunday, we begin our Christmas series called The Thrill of Hope. In a world that doesn't have hope. But if you're trusted in Jesus, we have hope. I hope people get saved. I hope we understand what our hope is. And it's a thrill when we understand our hope in Christ. May God bless you. If you're a guest, please go to guest services. We have a gift for you. Have a wonderful, wonderful day.